The first one we want to look at was on the screen last night, and that was in the heavens there is what is called the Southern Cross. Last night, my friend over here in the far side, uh, I sat down next to him, he was sitting next to me, and when I came and sat down, he said, <coughs> he said, you know, I was going to mention that the Southern Cross was visible in the Southern Hemisphere, but it was in the Northern Hemisphere. But he said, everyone would think I was a fool. <laughs> well, just go to the internet and listen to what the scientists actually say. It's there, all right? And it seemed to come and appear in the Southern Hemisphere about the time Jesus died on the cross. That's the comments that are made as far as timing. So we are going to have a look and tonight, if you uh, want to, I've got to find my man. Where is he? Here. We went out last night, Cara was with us. I said, someone else I think. And it was clear across the sky. He was the first one, he picked up the, I could see the two pointers but I couldn't, work out where the Southern Cross was because it's shifted one down south now. I'm not up where I am in the north, all right? So it shifted and he saw above the glare, he said, there's the Southern Cross and then I, I picked it up. So tonight, if you want to go out and it's clear like that, he will show you the Southern Cross and the two pointers in the sky there, all right? which as far as I am concerned convinced me I was not looking at an explosion that put stars anywhere in space. I was looking at the designed handiwork of God, which agrees with what the scriptures say. So we come to look at this and, and this is what you saw last night. This, I tried to picture it in the sky as we looked out. We were out the front here looking out that way there, all right? So here is what is called the Southern Cross on the, out of the, how they design it in the heavens. And you can see the coal sack, the black area where there seems to be no stars next to the cross. So what we have here, as I was discussing with my brother and I learned it in Scouts and he was talking about in the army, all right? And if you want to know direction and he said you're in Bren Gun Carrier if I remember rightly, all right, <laughs> and there's a lot of noise and everything's vibrating and that. Where do you look for direction? Well, you look up into the sky. All right, <laughs> so what have we got? Now, when I was in Scouts, and some of you will have learned this, you go two and a half times along that line, taking the long axis of the Southern Cross. All right, that's how it is, and that's how they do it in textbooks, that's how they do it when they're mapping the heavens, it's like that. So that's the long axis, you go along two and a half times and you have a spot there. You have, these two are called pointers. And in the textbook I had in high school, that's what they put. These two are called in the heavens, these two, Alpha Centauri and Beta Centauri, are called the pointers. That's the name of those two stars. So what they did, was draw a pointer on the two stars, right? That has, that's, that's what they put there. 
And when I learnt that, that had no meaning to me. But you've only got to ask, where does it point? It points straight to the head of the cross. Remember what you had advertising the camp? You had two things, a crown of thorns. Where's it point? The head of the cross. Thrust on his head was a crown of thorns. He's made a curse for us. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. That's prophetic. That's Christ. So we have here the pointers. We have the southern cross. And you take a line diagonally, perpendicularly through this. You take that line there. That point is south. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And that is actually the south celestial pole. Uh huh. Which, if you focus your camera onto that point and set it on an open shutter, you'll get a complete circle, circle around. So it's the south point where the axis of the earth is effectively, effectively pointing to. Pointing back. And then from that point, you can drop straight to the horizon and that is south. South. Good. All right, so there's another one, and there's another man there. <laughs> so if you want to look, keep going. Question, why is that a child in the month of Christ? Say that again. Is that another star in the month of Christ? This one here? Yeah. All right. Anyone like to answer? Notice it is the cross. That means there are five stars on the number plates that you see, some have just the five, some have five plus the star that's on the Australian flag, which are the states of... Hmm? Why the star? Think. So the spear went into Christ. So when God put them in the heavens here, they will look on me whom they pierced. They pierced my hands and my feet. It was a crown of thorns on his head. They pierced his side, his feet, two feet, and nailed to the cross. Don't tell me God does not know the end from the beginning. He planned it exact. And he put it in the heavens. And that's why when we start to look at the scriptures, we have some amazing scriptures that cause us to trust that the world you are living in is not millions and millions of years old. It is created by the hand of God 6,000, about 6,000 years ago. He put everything in place. He spoke and it was. He commanded and it stood fast. Let all the earth fear him. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. This is his handiwork. Amen. Yeah. So we can, can, yeah, can any comments free? Up on the cross. All 
Okay. Very interesting. Any comments? Appreciate it. All right? Good. Thanks, brother. So does it register? <coughs> Who are you worshipping? The Creator. We are called to give him all the honour. There's a beautiful verse in the end of Revelation 4, 4. If you'll turn to the end of Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, in the King James is a very strong expression. Revelation 4 and verse 11. The NIV has, You are worthy, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. King James has, And for your pleasure they are and were created. That makes God absolute. The whole of creation is created for his pleasure. And so this is the God that we worship, the one revealed in scripture, not the one <coughs> you are taught about in the schooling systems of our world. Mother Nature and Father Time are not our gods. We are worshipping the creator of all things. <coughs> He is before all things and by him all things consist. So this is the kind of God we are focused upon when we come to look at the heavens. Let's bow in prayer then we will come to this morning's session. Father we bow in humility in your presence adoring you and honouring you as the God who created all things through your son the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we worship you because you do have a family. And Lord, you are going to bring that family into your presence for eternity. And we will look upon you. And Lord, we will give you the honour and the glory for all that you have done at that point. Lord, we pray as we step into the scriptures that we may indeed behold the man to whom we owe everything. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to go through step by step by the screen, so you may get a crook neck. <laughs> we'll see how we go. We've done the Southern Cross and the pointers. Keep going down. And now it says, for signs. When you're reading the creation in the book of Genesis chapter 1, and you're in verse 14 and 15, you're doing the fourth day of creation. And it talks about what God did in the heavens. He created the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars, the moon and the stars also. The stars also. But he said, they are for signs. 
Now here is a standard thing for the rest of Scripture from this point on because you are going to find in your Bible the rainbow is a sign, circumcision is a sign. God used sign after sign after sign and it's consistent with the world you live in today. Every sign you see in your world today has two things, meaning and message. Every sign you see, even if it's a street sign, it's got a name. Is that that's the street, that's the message, all right? Any sign, it's an amazing principle, but it exists first in Scripture. Every sign has meaning and message. So the stars were put in place for meaning and message. Now we've looked at the Southern Cross. Does cross have meaning? It's a cross. Crux, that's its name, Crux. That's the astronomers call those five stars Crux. And that in, in the name it means cross. Right. So it has a meaning, cross. Does it have a message? It has no message unless you interpret biblically what you see in the heavens. Does it? But once you see it and you recognise the Bible says this, God put it in place. We understand the cross. That's where Christ died. Those stars mark the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God. That's what they mark. That's their message. And it's not only there. <coughs> the Bible says, now the Bible doesn't say it, all right? <laughs> but there are, there are two stars and they're the clearest you will see when you go out there. They're clearer than the Southern Cross. These two bright stars. And they're called the pointers. And they point to the cross, to the head of the cross. That's where they point. And say, so what are you saying? I'll tell you what you're seeing. You're seeing Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You're seeing Moses and you're seeing Elijah. Because Moses represents the first five books of your Bible. The law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Then you have Elijah, he is the prophets. He represents all the prophets. And what are they talking together? What are they hearing? What are these three disciples hearing? They're hearing them discuss his death. He is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. What are you seeing? A summary of the whole of the Old Testament. That's what you're seeing. And listen, Paul is consistent. He said, I say no other things than Moses. And I'm going to write this in so you understand. This is law. This is prophets. Oops. <laughs> My writing's terrible. All right. It's a shaky old man. Law, Moses. Prophets, Elijah. That's what the vision of the Mount of Transfiguration tells you. They were discussing his death. He is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. <coughs> when, Mo, when, when Paul had to give the defense of the gospel of what he preached, he said, I say no other things than those which Moses and the prophets did say should come. That Christ should die. He's the first to rise from the dead. He said, I use Moses and the prophets because that's the testimony of the Old Testament. That's its central message. 
the cross. Without that cross, there is no salvation. There is no salvation without that cross. He must die. It was ordained before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world in the council of God. We don't worship something which might happen and mightn't happen. We are, we are stepping into the whole counsel of God when we step into Scripture. It's all laid out for us. There is no mistakes with God. He settled everything from the beginning. That is the kind of God we worship, a sovereign, almighty God. So it lets our hearts rest in peace when we know he never makes a mistake. He will keep every promise he has made. He will not fail. So when we step into this kind of area of understanding, it means we have a trustworthy God. Has he spoken, won't he do it? Has he promised, won't he perform? Now a false prophet said that under the power of the Holy Spirit, Balaam. So we come to this immense area of what this is. Okay. There is scripture after scripture that tells us we are looking here at the foundation for the gospel. When Jesus rose from the dead, and I never forget this, and you should never forget it. He was walking on the road, and there were two. One of them was his cousin, earthly cousin, Cleopas. He was earthly cousin of Jesus. He was walking, and I take it with his wife, because they were going to their house, which was a Sabbath day there, Emmaus. They're going to the place of their residence. And they're walking along, and this stranger comes along the road. And he looks at them and he asks a question of them. He said, why are your faces downcast? Why are you sad? And they said, are you a stranger? Don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? He said, what things? You tell me, what things happened? There was this prophet, man, he called himself a prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. We believed he would have delivered Israel. And <coughs> he was taken, he was crucified put into a tomb. Our women went to the tomb. They saw a vision of angels, but they never saw him. Oh, you fools, you are slow of heart to believe all the prophets have said. He began at Moses and the prophets, and he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And as far as they were concerned, he was a stranger. They do not know, their eyes were withholding, they do not know who he was. But their testimony was, didn't our hearts burn in us as he opened to us the scriptures? Tell me, has that ever been your experience? It ought to have been. As the scriptures were opened out by the Holy Spirit to you as the great teacher, your heart burns within you as you realise it's the truth. It is the truth. The veil goes and you know who Christ is. You know what he means to you. You know what he's done for you. That is a revelation that the Spirit of God gives at new birth. It will grow, it will develop far beyond that. But it's the, the, the beginning of the light to radiate and the glory of the gospel 
starting to illuminate your darkened soul and your lifeless spirit and you come to life and you say, Father, because you've <laughs> you're in the family. He is the Father, but he's bringing a son into his own presence and that son has a task as firstborn to bring many sons to glory. That's the nature of the salvation that is opened out to us in the Scriptures. It's by grace you are saved, not of works. There is not one work you can present to God that would make you acceptable in the presence of holiness. The only worth I have before him is the value of the blood I present when I adore him, Christ, the first fruits unto God. The only worth I have before him. The only worth you have before him is the value of the blood because that was presented for you. It is the blood of Christ. It's not the blood of an animal. It is the blood of the spotless Lamb of God which he presented to his father as an answer to Satan's accusations, this one cannot enter your heaven. And he pleads the blood of Christ for right of entry. He's put his trust in the work of Christ. And Satan is rebuked. So we have an immensity of truth. <coughs> the last one is the moon and the stars. The moon may not mean much to us and it doesn't. We talk about blue moons and red moons and blood moons and all kinds of things. There's one nation on earth that moon means everything to and that is the nation of Israel because the whole of the timing of all their feasts, seven feasts which are a shadow of Christ and all that he will do is governed by the moon. And in Psalm 104 verse 19 it says, the moon is God's faithful witness because it doesn't stop like the handed clock you have in your arm. It doesn't wear out. The moon is there and it's continued to function. And it goes from new moon when Israel would have their feast celebrating. The new moon began the month. Then it would go through its cycle to full moon, which is Passover. And God said, this is the beginning of time for you as a people. And then it goes right through. And so it is lunar months, 30 days to a month prophetically all through your Bible. So we, we are stepping into the amazing scene of heaven that God has created. And I'm speaking of the physical heavens as we see them. That that is what we see. All right. <coughs> You've got a text up there by Job. Job has an interesting, I'll turn to your Bibles, Job <coughs> 9. Job is before Psalms. Job 9, verse 8 to 10. Remember this man exists, was on earth about the time of Esau, Jacob, before Moses, long before Moses. Job 9, verse 8 to 10. He says this, He alone stretches out the heavens. He treads on the waves of the sea. 
is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. God is speaking about the heavens. He's giving names to star groups. This is Job. Verse 10, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Did he have a right appreciation of God? Who he really was? This is way back. This is Job after the flood. And so he has a remarkable... So we have on the screen, first is the Pleiades, seven sisters, right? Constellation in the heavens called the seven... We call them, generally call them the seven sisters. They are given the name in astronomy of Pleiades. And that's a, f a photo of them. The next one on is Orion, which is also mentioned in Scripture. That is Orion up in the heavens. Yeah, I call it the saucepan, but anyway. <laughs> well, you, 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 you know, I, I did nothing. I just gave names when I looked up at the heavens. I thought, that one looks, I've got a big saucepan, a little saucepan, and a, you know. <laughs> I didn't have names in my understanding to start with. <laughs> so the, these are the kind of things in the heavens. And, Paul, and, and, and David said, when I consider your heavens, Psalm 8, now, the word consider there is to see. But the same word in Hebrew is used for a seer. A prophet was called a seer, but then his name was changed to prophet. You read it in Samuel. He was called a seer before this, then he became a prophet. So what's that tell you? Dis not just seeing, you're discerning something. Amazing, isn't it, that word? When I consider your heavens. Tell David gazed at those heavens because they're handiwork of God. How majestic, how majestic you are. That's what's his exclamation. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is creator. Majestic name. So the wonder of who he is is first seen in creation. Keep going on. He's the maker and upholder of all things. Stay in Job and go to Job 38. And we have God himself. Here is God himself speaking to Job. Job 38. And we're in <coughs> Oh, I'm in Psalms. <laughs> Job thirty eight, and we're in verses thirty one down to verse thirty three. These are questions. How do you go with them? He's asked God is asking a man questions. How do we go when God asks us these questions? First question, verse 31. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Well, all I can do is look at them. I can't do anything with them. Neither can you. And God asked Job, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Second question. Can you loose the cords of Orion? They are mysteries which even today scientists grapple with. 
questions that God asks a man. Then he says, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? That is those you see across the Milky Way, those constellations. Can you bring them forth in their seasons, their appointed times, their fixed ways? Can you do it, Job? We don't control the heavens. <coughs> or lead out the bear with its cubs. And you may have Leo the lion, the lion put there in bear's place. But notice verse 33. How do you go? Do you know the laws of heaven, of the heavens? Do you know how the heavens function? They're grappling with it today. The heavens are too big for them. They can't measure them. They acknowledge that. They can't measure the number of stars. They acknowledge that. They can't do it. And it's the Bible that says <coughs> about counting the stars. So the big questions are great. Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? And he's dealing with the heavens. Can you do it? How big is the God we worship? Does he fit this? Because man is helpless when you come to questions like that. Aren't we? Job never answered. We can't answer. We don't do it. The implication is God alone is the one who does all this. It's in his hands. So you go on, I'm taking down to Amos, you, Hosea, Joel, Amos, <coughs> and you're in Isaiah, Amos 5. And verse 8, questions again asked or, or statements being made. Amos 5 and verse 8. He who made the Pleiades and Orion. Who's that? God. You didn't make them. You look at there, his handiwork. He controls it all. <coughs> do, you, do you know this sovereign God? Do you know this God? Because it's opened out to his absolute in power. Who turns blackness into dawn. Did you bring out the dawn this morning? And I'm not talking about a woman dawn. I'm talking about dawn rising as a, as a light. Night has passed. Did you set the morning star in its place that heralded the dawn? No, you didn't. Who does all this? God does. It's his handiwork. Tell me, does it function every day? Yes, it does. He, he darkens day into night. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land? That's the thing Australia has to remember. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the land? Do the clouds themselves send rain? Jeremiah said, no, it's you, O Lord, therefore we will call on you. Do the gods give rain? No, he says. The clouds don't send rain down of themselves. Job speaks of those wonders of him that hang poised in the heavens. You know they pass over sometimes. They're loaded with moisture and not a drop falls. And sometimes just a scuddy little thing will go across the sky and down comes the rain. Those wonders of him that hang poised in the heavens. How much water do they hold? 
Now there's some places up there, the Gold Coast copped it, all right? The Gold Coast of Queensland. It just tumbled down, thundered down. Right? Those wonders of him that hang poised in the heavens. How does that much water hold and stay up there till it comes down? Because the weight of what comes down is immense. The water just pours down the streets, floods. They said they'd never seen water like it. To cut off roads in the Gold Coast, they'd never seen it. It was thundered down. Who's in control? Oh, Mother Nature. Mother Nature is doing this. No, no, no. The Bible is very clear. And these men of the Old Testament understood the God they worshipped, do we? They understood the God they worshipped. He was an absolute sovereign. He was in control. (coughs) He pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. Go back to Amos 4, I think I put it on there. Amos 4 verse 13. It's a a, a tremendous statement. He who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man. What statements? He reveals his thoughts to man? He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. And yet the Bible tells me he reveals his thoughts to man. He turns dawn to darkness. He treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. Tell me, has he exalted his name far above all? He has. He has honoured the name of Jesus, not just as creator, but as redeemer. But you will never separate our understanding of creation from our understanding of redemption. You will never separate. If your God is not the creator God, you will not understand redemption. Because the same power that operated the creation of all things, that personage, that same power, is the one who operated the work of redemption. It is the same power that is involved in bringing everything into existence as to bring life out of death. Same power. That is why in the Bible, when God gave the law to Israel, he bounded it on two sides. Take your Bible, you're in Exodus 20 and you're in verse, go to verse 11. I better keep going. Am I right? Okay. I think it's the next one, is it? Exodus 20, verse 11, I wasn't sure. Oh, yeah, we left a few, we'll leave those texts, keep going, otherwise we won't get time. Keep going. You will know those scriptures or you should. 
right? <clears throat> who can compare? Who, who, who can, who, which God can you compare to me? Is the questions he asked in Isaiah. Who can you compare to me? I bring out the stars. I name each star. Can you compare any God to me? They're his handiwork. And so we'll, we'll leave all that. That's in those two, the Isaiah and Psalms. Here we have the Sabbath. Now remember, who gave the law to Israel? Be careful with your answer. Who gave the law to Israel? Because we are in the book of Hebrews. Who gave the law to Israel? It was ministered by angels. It was ministered by angels. Three times in your New Testament, you, we are told the law was ministered by angels. Remember Stephen gave his defense? If you, if you turn across in your Bible, I don't think I've put it on the screen, but it's in Acts chapter 7. And you will hear Stephen's charge against the nation of Israel. It's in Acts 7 verse... <coughs> we'll read from verse 51. This is his charge against the nation. He's given his defence to them of his testimony about Jesus. Acts 7 verse 51, he says to the nation of Israel, you stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. Wow. What is someone speaking to the nation who belongs to that nation, says this to that nation? They're pretty harsh words, aren't they? You stiff-necked people. You're just like your fathers. You're uncircumcised in your heart. You always resist the Holy Spirit. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That's the prophets. They killed them as a nation. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Wow, what a charge to bring against a nation. Strong, isn't it? He's a Greek. <laughs> you who have received the law... That was put into effect how? Through angels, but have not obeyed it. Tell me, did you understand when you sang one of your hymns there, Trust and Obey? It talked about the angels. He will send his angels. That was in that hymn the first time I noticed it. Remember I asked you, the question is, Unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come about which we are speaking. And I said, this world is responsible to angels. Angels are sent. They're ministering spirits. God sends them. And they are operating in the world. You won't see them. Some have entertained, we're in the book of Hebrews, and some have entertained angels unaware. Be hospitable. Entertain strangers. Because in so doing, some have entertained angels unaware, not knowing they're angels. That's what it means. Tell me, the incidents of the angels, were they in the life of Christ? What happened when he was in the wilderness and the temptation? Amongst the wild beasts, angels came and ministered to him. You're going to touch time after time, not only in his life, 
But through the history of the church, you are going to find angels and ministering spirits sent forth from the throne to minister to those who will be the heirs of salvation. Tell me the world you're living in, is it subject to angels and their ministry? Yes, it is. What about Ezekiel? And uh, Gabriel, uh, Michael, Gabriel is talking and he says, Only Michael, your prince, stands with me and the chief prince of Persia withstood me. What are you dealing with? You're dealing with angelic beings in, in conflict. So is this world in which you and I are, we don't worship angels. We're never called to worship angels. In fact, in Revelation, John fell to worship the angel that showed him these things and he said, worship God. Right. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Worship him. So when you come to this whole ministry, we suddenly realise angels were involved in the giving of the law. And this is argued in the book of Hebrews. It says, every violation, every breaking, there was a just payment for every breaking of the law and it was ministered by angels. Hebrews tells us there in Hebrews. And he says, if that's true there, back there, and something is ministered by angels and every transgression that was made had a just payment of reward, how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What's it mean? Angels ministered the law Christ has now spoken in his Son. And that's the message. What if you don't listen? What if you harden your heart? What if you don't believe what God has done? What if you tell him it wasn't necessary, my works are good enough? What if you do all this? How much greater... If angels ministered the law and every transgression and disobedience received a just payment of reward. And let me tell you this. I think God has put one in the scriptures that is so powerful. It's in Numbers 15. You don't need to turn to it. I'll take you very quickly through it. It says this. They were in the wilderness and a man was found picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. What's the Bible say? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And repeated it, no work, no work, no work. And this man was seen, there were witnesses, he was picking up sticks on the, from the desert floor on the Sabbath day. And they told Moses, they put him in hole, they put him in prison, they didn't know what to do with him. And God said, take him outside the camp, the whole of Israel stone him to death. Say, so that's too severe. That's too severe, isn't it? Why the severity? Because the message of the Sabbath is rest, no work. Tell me, is your salvation based on what Christ has done alone or have you added to it? That is the great danger. The whole Catholic Church has a system of works added to Christ. 
conservative Pentecostals and all kinds of things are now being drawn into things that you can add to the finished work of Christ because we no longer preach it as a complete finished work to be trusted in without anything of man's addition to it. Is it serious? Yes, it is. That man had heard the words. In Exodus 31, it says, Gather all Israel together. And he says, The Sabbath is a sign that I, the Lord, make you holy. I, the Lord, do. And he says, You must not light a fire on the Sabbath day. All Israel heard it. All Israel. You heard the gospel? Don't you add anything to it. His work and his work alone is the foundation of your salvation. Only his work. That is the only thing that satisfies the Father you become acceptable in Christ. As much as he is accepted on your behalf, you are accepted in him because you are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. They do not save you, but they demonstrate your salvation. So we glory in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh. That's not my words, that's Paul's words. So the whole foundation is grounded in the Sabbath day. Now my time has gone this morning. I will finish with just this one part before we go because it's the next one up, yeah. No, stay there, back, go back, go back one, thanks. What I'm bringing out in your Bible, when God, when, when God gave all this to Israel, he gave them the pattern of the tabernacle, he gave them the priesthood, he gave them the law. That's all there, the law in Exodus, from Exodus 25 through the end of Exodus, he gives them the law, he gives them the pattern of the tabernacle, and he gives them the priesthood. It's all instituted with its offerings. He begins it with this. He ends that whole section with the last one I put up there, Exodus 31, 16 and 17, which says, The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it from generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be what? A sign between me and the Israelites forever. Why? What sign? For in six days... God made what? Heaven, earth, sea, everything that's in them. And what did he do the seventh day? No work. That's why he gave the Sabbath, to teach us your works can't save you. Only Christ can. That's why he gave the Sabbath. Not to keep the day, but to understand it's a shadow and the reality is Christ. I'll finish there and I'll leave it there for now.